2 Peter chapter 3. And Peter has just finished revealing to his audience, the church, these believers here, that false teachers, remember in chapter 2, false teachers are going to come into the church. They're going to attempt to lead people astray through destructive heresies, as Peter pointed out there. And, and some things are going to be very blatant. There's going to be some people that are going to come in and you just know these guys are off. They are not walking in the truth. But there's also going to be some that are going to come in that are, are going to be very subtle. And the way that they look to, to lead people astray is not always going to be just through destructive heresies, but to cause you to kind of doubt just the simplicity uh, of God's word and what God has already said. And that's who Peter is addressing in this chapter. We're not dealing with false teachers, but we're dealing with scoffers, those that come along and just kind of like say, ah, oh, come on now. You don't really think that, that God's going to come back again one day. God's not really active in the world today now. Is it like there are going to be those that are going to come and try to scoff at this notion that God's at work today and God's coming again one day. Well, Peter is going to point out these people and, and, and how we're to view these things in light of, of what we're dealing with today. So in this chapter, we're going to look at a few things. We're going to see the discipline of the believer. We're going to look at the doubt of the unbeliever, the delay of the Lord. That's all we're going to get to today. We're going to look at these three points up to verse 9. But then next week, we'll pick it up and we'll talk about the day of the Lord and then the diligence of the believer. So that's kind of how this chapter is going to break down for us. Look at verse 1 of Second Peter chapter 3. And we read there in verse 1, Beloved, and I'll write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord uh, of the Lord and Savior. So here's Peter now. And I love the way he starts this out because Peter's just come off of chapter two where he's had to kind of hit hard at some false teachers, people that are coming in and, and he's had to speak strongly and boldly. And some people might look at this Peter as kind of this ongoing character of just this great bravado and just speaking strongly or, or harshly. And yet, you know, no doubt that was the case with Peter a lot of the times, but we also see a man that's been changed by the Lord, that's been born again, born of the Spirit, who is now walking his love. And so he starts out this epistle or this chapter by saying, Beloved, he's writing to these friends, these believers, and he's showing this warmth and love. You know, he's not just a man that's that's just speaking truth with, you know, just no concern for how it lands. He's concerned and caring about these people and he's being changed by this love as he's grown no doubt in the love of jesus it's something that listen we all need to be continuing to grow in because this is not something that comes very naturally for us i would say as just people where love is not something that just naturally flows out of us i think that takes work but it also takes more than work it takes being born of the spirit having a new nature at work in us in fact that's very much what peter was indicating when he wrote in first peter chapter 1 verse 22 he wrote this since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren he says love one another fervently with a pure heart notice what he says in verse 23 Having been born again, he realizes there's a connection to that love, loving one another fervently and having been born again. And he says, it's not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So Peter 
out of his love for God's people, is looking to stir up the people to, to pure thinking. This idea of stirring up means to ultimately wake up. All right? Just make sure that nobody needs stirring up around you here this morning. It's the idea of, of having to be woken up, right? And, and having that clarity and that focus of mind. He wants all of his readers to be stirred up in pure minds. That's having a mind that's not mixed or contaminated with other things. It's a focused and clear mind. The picture was of wheat that's being sifted so as to, you know, separate it from the chaff, right? And in the same way, our minds need to sift out the true from the untrue and the, and the pure from the impure. So we have a, a focused and clearly engaged mind. And so Peter is looking to remind his readers now other things that they've been taught. Notice he says there in verse 2, I want you to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles, the Lord and Savior. So he's saying, I want you to think about those things that have been written prior by all of our, our prophets, right? Who wrote not their own word. Remember what Peter said at the end of chapter 1 of Second Peter? They didn't write by their own volition or will. They wrote as they were led by the Spirit. They wrote what God had, had asked them to write, you know, and led them to write by the Spirit. So he says, bring to mind those things that they've written, right? These things are for your help because remember who Peter's writing to. He's writing to a people that have been dispersed. They're facing persecution and trials. They've undergone some pretty heavy struggles, right? And so Peter's looking to encourage them, but he says, I want you to be reminded to have a proper thinking now. These things shouldn't surprise you because the holy prophets themselves have gone through it. They've had to face trial, persecution, but they're writing to let you know too that God's at work. God's going to be moving. He's at work right now and he'll continue to to move and to work and carry out his will. God's not uninvolved, but is very involved here. And so Peter's looking to remind them of these things and the apostles have also written with that same encouragement to them. So remind yourself of these things. Don't neglect what the word of God says. Remind yourselves of it And, and how we need to be reminded, don't we? Peter, Peter addressed it earlier in, um, oh, now I'm not, oh yeah, in, in chapter 1, verse 12 of the second epistle. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things there in verse 12. So Peter was all about reminder and how, I mean, if you're like me, the more that I, I, I get older, the more I realize how much I need reminders of things, right? Um, just ask my wife. I mean, she'll let you know, oh yeah, that, that guy needs to be reminded oftentimes. I need to write things. And, and so for me, and you write things down, like, like the, the reminders app on my phone, that's become like my best friend these days. Like, I gotta know, like, when I got a thought or I need to do something, I better write that down because I know I'm gonna forget. And half the time I'll pick up my phone to write that in the reminders app, but then I get distracted by another app and I get off focus and I start thinking about something else and I put my phone down, I'm like, oh yeah, I was gonna put something in the reminders app. What was that again? I gotta remember. Oh my goodness, it's terrible, isn't it? But we need reminders. No matter how much you've, you've been through the word of God. I mean, you might have read through the word of God some 5, 10, 20 times. Listen, we need to continually remind ourselves of what God's word has said. Because it's, it's a living word. And every time, see, the, the thing is, I think some people get this idea like, ah, I've read, I've read this. I got it down, man. I'm gonna, I don't need to keep reading that. But it's the living word of God that's going to speak to you fresh and new every time you pick it up. There's going to be things in there that you will read and you'll be like, what? I don't remember seeing that before. Where'd that come from? That's good. Oh my goodness, I better underline that. 
It's going to speak to you fresh and anew because it's the living word of God. And we need to continually remind ourselves of what God's word is saying. And that's what Peter's saying to his audience here. I want to remind you to have a, a clear mind, a proper mind, to be thinking straight on these things. Because people are going to come along and seek to lead you astray. All right? Seek to, to get you tripped up on certain things. And, and here's something these believers, again, needed to be thinking rightly about. Look at verse 3 here. Verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So first off, scoffers are going to come. And they're going to attempt to undermine the word of God. The very thing that Peter's seeking to remind them of, scoffers are going to come along and say, Oh, don't waste your time, guys. I mean, really, is God, is God really working today? Is God really speaking through his word? Is God really involved? I mean, everything just seems to continue on as it has since the beginning of time. So why, why bother? Scoffers are going to come and try to say these things. But what they're ultimately doing is they're just trying to make an excuse to continue on in their own sin and shame. That's why, why Peter writes there, they're walking according to their own lusts. They're not trying to do you any favors. They're just trying to gratify themselves and remove... Any kind of conviction, right? If they can dismiss God, then they dismiss this notion they will need to be accountable to God one day, right? Don't you realize that that's what's at work here when so many people are trying to deny God? It's just so that they don't have to live accountable to God, right? And and so these guys are coming along. They're making a mockery of God. They're scoffing at God. And and they're saying, God's not going to really hold us accountable to our sin, you don't think that, do you? Come on now. But here's the cool thing, everybody. All right? So when scoffers come, the minute that a scoffer comes and opens his mouth and starts to scoff or mock, you can just say, hey, thank you so much. Because what you're doing right now is you're confirming the word of God to be true. Because you're actually fulfilling prophecy. Peter talked about you right here in Second Peter 3, that scoffers are going to come. And they're going to deny God. And so by you speaking denying God, You're actually fulfilling the word of God. Thank you. How cool of you to do that. That's what they're doing. They don't realize it, but the word of God has told us that these guys are going to come. Now, he says in the last days, right? So the question I think a lot of us will have is like, well, what do the last days speak of? What are are we talking about when it comes to the last days, right? We hear a lot about that. We like to talk about the last days, but what does that encompass exactly? Well, I think technically you could say that the last days are, are all that time period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. When he came and he did all the work that first time, he, he was born in this world, he died on a cross, he rose again, he ascended to the Father. And leading up to the second coming, well, that could be referred to as the last days because there's nothing more that needs to happen. We're living in this age of grace where the Lord is seeking to draw in his bride, right? See all those uh, saved and respond to this, this free gift of salvation. And nothing needs to happen before he returns again and he raptures up the church. There's nothing further that needs to happen. So we're living in these last days where he could come at any moment. That's the idea, right? He could come at any time now. But I think when the when the writers of God's word, like Paul and Peter and, and Jesus himself, when he referred to these last days, I think they had more specifically in mind these days that were right before when Jesus was going to truly come. And they give conditions, they give indicators of what the things are going to be like. Jesus talked about, you know, um, 
lawlessness would abound. Uh, Paul talked about how the love of many will, will grow cold. People will turn away from the truth and heap up for themselves, you know, people just to speak fables and stories that will appease them, right? Peter talks about these scoffers that are going to come mocking and denying all these things. So I think these last days can, can more specifically refer to these times that are, are so close to the Lord returning and these conditions that we see the word spelling out for us starting to happen and unfold. And I understand, I mean, we live in some crazy times right now, don't we? We live in a time where you can see lawlessness abound. The, the love of many are growing cold as, as division and fighting and, and, and just, you know, all this is, is ramping up all the more. People are turning away from the truth. I believe that we're living in the last days today. I believe we're living in these times that these, these authors talked about. Now listen, I can be wrong, Right? It could be another thousand years before Jesus comes again. Oh, I so hope not. But that could be the case. Here's the thing is that we don't have to get divisive ourselves over the timing of all these things and when this is going to happen. As, as that can so easily happen where we begin to break apart or we begin to, to um, break away from fellowship with people that don't think the same way we do. Listen, the key is that what we believe about Jesus and what we, we believe about the gospel is, is firm and clear and, and unified together. But the rest of these things are, are negotiable in a sense, right? They're not matters of salvation. So we don't have to fret over these things and, and argue and divide over these things. We don't have to argue over the timing of the rapture or even if there's going to be a rapture. I mean, I believe that there will be. I believe there will be. And we don't have to break fellowship over that. I fellowship with lots of people that are wrong. And it's fine. It's okay. It's not, it, it, it works. But see, when that question gets posed, you know, where's the promise of his coming? It could be a very difficult thing for people to handle. Think about these, these people that Peter's addressing specifically who, like I said, have been dispersed. They're going through trials. They're going through unfortunate circumstances because of their faith. And they can begin to easily think, yeah, actually, Lord, where are you? When is this coming, of the Lord? Because I could have used that yesterday. That would have been really nice to happen by now rather than me have to, you know, go through what I'm going through and have to endure this suffering. That coming would be really great. Is that real, God? Are you actually going to come? It's a question that can cause a lot of people to have a, a crisis of faith. Maybe you today have faced those moments where your faith is tested over these things and you've wondered, where is God? Why doesn't he seem to be acting on my behalf or taking care of this situation or sickness or doing this work in my life that I've been praying for? Where is God in these things? Well, Peter's going to answer that and, and help us to have a right perspective on these things. But like these scoffers, it can be easy to think that God has just put everything into motion and it's just kind of checked out. Like he just sort of wound up the clock and let it unwind and he's got his hands off and he's just waiting for it all just to kind of come to an end. And it can be easy to think that way. In fact, that was a view that many people had of God throughout history. That God was, you know, he got it all rolling, but he just kind of hands off and let it all just sort of unfold now in its natural processes, basically. So what these scoffers are really assuming is that God doesn't intervene in the affairs of this world. So they can just go ahead and live as they want without any fear of retribution for their sin or wickedness. 
that's what these scoffers were doing. This is how they were living. That was the, the kind of um, lie that they were putting into other people. So Peter seeks to give these scoffers now a little reminder themselves. As we've heard, reminders are good. Well, Peter looks to remind these scoffers of something that they have forgotten. Look at verse 5. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world and then exist, that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So what these scoffers conveniently forgot is that God has indeed stepped into the affairs of man and of this world and has acted in a way not only to carry out judgment upon the wickedness on the world, but also to act on behalf of those that were righteous in saving Noah and leading them through the flood, you see. And if God did it then, then he surely will do it again. And he is at work. He is at work today carrying out his will, his purposes. He is involved. Understand that though we might question and wonder, God, where are you? God cares. God knows what you're going through. He's been through those things himself and he, and he understands your weakness and he comes with compassion to help, to be an ever-present help in, in times of trouble. So understand that Jesus does know, he does care, and he is involved in your life. And he's shown that in times past. And he continues to reveal that. So Peter shows that God, he created the world, right? He, he separated, you know, uh, the waters in the, in the sky from the waters that were on the land. And he moved everything around. He, he created all these things. But then he used those same waters. The very things that he spoke into existence by his word, he caused all those things to begin to flood in and carry out his judgment on a world where wickedness had become prevalent upon it. So God showed then even greater intervention, like I said, when he spared Noah through that flood. Imagine that. It's interesting as Peter brings up the flood as an indicator uh, of God's intervention in the world, that it's the flood that's become under, has, you know, become under great attack today. And not just by unbelievers, but by believers who, you know, you begin to hear from Christians that begin to deny the literalness or the legitimacy of the flood saying oh you don't really believe that the flood actually happened on a global scale do you you don't think that god actually flooded the whole world preserved one family and all the animals we have today just came about through this one boat that preserved them and now we've got animals all around the world. That, that, that that seems preposterous there's christians that hold that view today i think the flood couldn't have happened it's been a point of scoffing for many but notice this what does Peter say there in, in verse 5? That they willfully forget. In other words, this isn't a point of ignorance. This isn't a, a, a intellectual struggle they're working through. They are choosing to forget and deny these things. Right? That's the way it is for a lot of people today. They, they suppress the truth so they can continue on doing what they want and living how they desire to live. And that's what these people, these scoffers, are doing. So we have many accounts of God intervening in history, but even in the present day. Now Peter makes clear that God is still at work, even today now, as he's holding all things together. Look at verse 7. He says there, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, 
are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So when God created the world, as he spoke it all into existence, he created the world with this invisible force intact there. And it's by the same word that all these things are just kind of being preserved and, and held together. We know that there is great atomic energy that's being stored up in matter. And it's all being held together by God. In fact, Colossians 1 uh, verse 7 says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Or, as that more rightly is translated, in him all things are held together. So what Paul writes there in Colossians is that God's holding all things together. And so just the very fact that nothing is just imploding in this world or exploding is a sign that God's at work today, holding it all together. They revealed just by the splitting of an atom that there is great power stored up there. And, and God's holding it all together. Now, one day he's going to let it go. Just by the very word that he spoke in all existence, by the very word, he's going to see that it's just going to come to nothing again. Most likely, this speaking of the time around the great white throne judgment, after the millennial reign where, where unbelievers are judged, they're going to stand before God and they're going to be sentenced to the lake of fire. They're going to be judged by fire, it says there. And then it, it moves into this time that Revelation 21 uh, verse 1 says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there's no more sea. How did that heaven and earth pass away? Perhaps the Lord just let go. He says, all right, it's time to have a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And the place just gone. With all the energy it's stored up, God just, with that spoken word, just seeing it all come to nothing and a new heaven, a new earth, recreated again. So, the question for us, I think we could ask is, why hasn't this happened yet? Because I don't know about you, but I've been ready for the Lord to come again. I've been ready to see my Savior and to spend eternity with Him in heaven. I'm ready. Why has this happened yet? I mean, we've had to wait for 2,000 years for Jesus to come again and take action. Why have we had to wait so long? Well, look at what Peter writes here in verse 8 and 9. We'll finish with these two verses. But, beloved, there's Peter again sharing that love. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter reveals for us now God's heart in these matters. First of all, God's on a completely different timetable than we are. Now, also, God's not giving some kind of, you know, time frame for us to unlock, like we start trying to do the math. Well, okay, if a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, what does that mean? Maybe I can figure out exactly what he's got in mind here when he's coming back again. Some people thought, well, we've got 6,000 years of human history recorded since Adam's creation, 6,000 years to where we are now. So perhaps, since God liked to do things in six and one kind of intervals where he created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, Maybe we're going through the 6,000 years and now we're entering into that 7,000th year. Perhaps it's that time where, again, we rest, where the millennial reign comes into play. Maybe we're leading right up into that. Some people thought that could be it. Or if 1,000 years like one day, well, then it's been you know 2,000 years since Christ came and did the work to save us. It's been 2,000 years. Maybe we're moving into that third day now where 
again, that resurrection, new life. Maybe that's the time we're going to be raised up to be with our Savior. That could all be. And, and there's all, you know, again, possibilities of, of truth in those things. But the bottom line is that Peter wants to know is that God operates outside of time, right? He's not wearing no Apple Watch here trying to, you know, figure out, well, when's going to be a good time? Let's see, they've been waiting for this long. Yeah, I think, I think we're about ready here. Let me just set my alarm, but let me get that in my reminders app so I know what to do here, right? No, it's not, that's not the case here. God's not working by our time frame. And our time frame is so limited. But God's outside of that. He's outside of time. He's, he's in eternity where these things aren't measurable in the same way they are for us. And nor is the Lord delaying because he doesn't care or he's not involved as what these scoffers are trying to say. Oh, Lord doesn't care. He's just not involved. No, that's not why he's delaying. The reason God is delaying his return is so that more people can come to repentance and experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Understand the big heart that our God has. Because I mean, if I were, if I were God and, and you're all saying, amen, that you're not, thank you for that. But if I were God, I'd be like, I'm done with this world. These people are listening. They've had enough chances. Forget it. Right? But what is God doing? He's showing long suffering and patience so that everybody has the most opportunity to get right with him and to receive life in him. That's the big heart of our God. And it's what he would desire for us. God wishes that none would perish. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And how we need to get on the same page as our Lord here, my friends, because we can see all the crazy stuff going on in the world right now and we can feel very justified in saying, Come on, Lord, I'm ready. Take me home now. Come, Lord Jesus. We feel very justified in in feeling that way and, and living with a tunnel vision just to make it to the return of the Lord. But we need to have the heart of God that desires to see people turn to him. And that's what that word repentance is, that as Peter ends in verse 9, that all should come to repentance. That word repentance is simply to like make a U-turn, to turn directions, to change mind, change your mind, change your direction. That people would turn from going their way, which we saw last week in Proverbs that there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And it's to change direction from that way, the wrong way, and to go the right way, which is God's way. Say, Lord, I need to follow you. That's what repentance is. Say, I'm giving up my way so that I might go the right way, and that's your way, Lord. Sadly, for many people, they mistake the long-suffering of the Lord as license to just do what they want. Maybe you've been in that in that attitude before where you thought, ah, I don't think the Lord's coming anytime soon. I've, I've lived all these years without any kind of retribution, so I might as well just sow a few more wild oats here. But look at what Paul writes in Romans 2.4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The reason God is holding back and, and, and waiting until his return is so that you might walk in repentance. Don't mistake that for license to do what you want. 
and they continue on a lifestyle because understand, I believe we are living in the last days. I believe the Lord is coming soon. That could be this afternoon. That could be tomorrow. We don't know when that's going to come, but I believe he, he's ready to come at any time, at any moment. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I don't want to mistake this time that we've had to just go, ah, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Just keep maybe doing what I want. Maybe I'll get right down the road later on. Right? That's how a lot of people live. But you never know when you will have that opportunity. You don't know how many days you have yourself, let alone when the Lord will return again. How we need to live right and ready. And there's something wonderful about living with that hope in Jesus about his coming as, as 1 John 3, uh, I think it's 1 John 3 verse 3 says that all those who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. All those that have that expectancy of the Lord returning again. Man, it, it purifies them. I believe that's why the Lord in every generation has had that kind of you know, readiness for his return. Because a lot of people get in that moment and think, oh, I've heard this so much before. I grew up where everybody's going, oh, the Lord's coming anytime. And guess what? That was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, come on. And we can begin to lose a little bit of that, that excitement and passion. But I believe the Lord has created that, that kind of urgency in every generation so that we live ready and we live pure. And we live as we're to be living now, which is having the same heart of God to say, I want to see other people come and receive that salvation. I want to see other people added into the fold and be a part of this eternal, everlasting life that God has for us. That should be our heart here. So yeah, we live ready, we get excited, but don't live a tunnel vision where you're like all the boat, okay, the Lord's coming soon. I got to keep away from the world. I got to keep away from everybody else. I just want to be focused on the Lord. No, be focused on the Lord, but have the heart of God that says he's holding off so that others can come in. So that others can receive salvation. Do you have that heart? Are you, are you ready to go out in this world to say, man, whatever I'm doing, whatever activity I'm in, I want to be living as a witness. I want to be sharing the good news with people. I want to be telling people that, hey, are you right with God today? Because he's holding off. So do you have an opportunity to turn to him and find life in him? That should be what's driving us today. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I, I preach that to myself as much as anybody. I need to hear that. That's not me saying, I've got it all together. You guys need to follow along now. No, I'm saying this for myself too. I want to take every moment every day to say, Lord, I want to be a witness. I want to have your heart that says, I wish that nobody would perish. Help me to be breaking for the lost. Help me to be passionate and full of compassion for those that don't know you. And let me do everything I can to pass on the good news to them. Let's be praying for that. And let's be asking the Lord to move us in these ways. Listen, if you're watching online, or maybe you're here today in this room, that you are not sure where you stand when it comes to the Lord and what that would look like if you were to come back again. Would you be in? Would you be out? Would he receive you? Would he not? Listen, the only reason that God receives any of us is because we put our faith in Jesus. It's not because of who we are or what we've done. It's not by doing good works or being a good person it's through faith in jesus it's it's an understanding that he took the judgment of god for us when he died on a cross and by doing so he allowed us to simply put our trust in him and by doing so our sins would be forgiven and we'd be clothed in his righteousness so that we could be right with god so we can live today with an assurance of salvation that's what you need to do today to be right with him but it's that free gift it's not it's not jumping through hoops. It's not signing up to a church. It's simply 
putting your trust in Jesus to save you and forgive you. And he does it all. He's done it all for you. Would you receive him? And for those of you that already know Jesus today, pray for that passion and compassion and that heart of God to say, Lord, help me to share this good news with people around me and have a heart that says, I don't want to see anybody perish. Just like you, Father, I don't want to see anybody perish. So let's get out and let's see the world one for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, come on, we'll just end with maybe one song here. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for um, this time that we can just go through your word together. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is at work today. And there are people that will scoff at that and mock it and deny it. But Lord, we know that you're at work. You're holding all things together. You're holding our lives together. You've done everything for us already, Lord. You've saved us by becoming that final sacrifice to forgive us of our sin. And for that, we're so grateful, Lord. And we just want to live these lives to honor you and to glorify you. And we pray, Lord, you'd develop in us just that heart of the Father that says, I don't want anybody to perish. I want to see you all come to that place of repentance, Lord. Help us to be instrumental in passing on that good news and leading and pointing people to you, Jesus. This week, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to have opportunities of talking to people, strangers or family, loved ones, to just share with them the good news of Jesus. Help us to be bold and to be moved by your spirit in these things now. So we ask this in your awesome name. Amen.